is the Schaefer Baseball Report, an inside look at America's pastime. From Little League all the way to the big leagues. Now here's your host, former Major League infielder Jeff Schaefer. All right, welcome everybody to Schaefer Baseball Report Friday edition. We got John, Easy Cheese Ennis, Andrew One Tools Ike, and uh, we got a special guest coming on with us today, uh, Frank Leone, head coach at Mount St. Mary's up in... Uh, no, no, he was oh. at Marymount. Oh. Dude. See? See, you started off like this, though, and you get it cleared up. No, you just, you just, you're just amazed that I was on track, yeah. and you thought you had to you correct me track. again. I thought you were going to say it the opposite way. No, no. So he's at Marymount. He's got, he's got, he's got a history. He's got over 20 years as a Division One coach. So, and, uh, and then was at Marymount when Knipe and Evan Todd yeah. were, were, were up there with him. So, um, so Frank will be coming on. We'll talk a little bit about his, uh, his journey um, as a college coach uh, from Rhode Island all the way to where he's at now. And um, we also want to bring up that new rule that that, that hit uh, last night, that no junior year, right? Yep, August 1st. So it would be interesting to see, uh, you know, uh, Frank's opinion on that. And I have mine. I'm sure you have yours. You're formulating right now, I can tell. Well, yeah, I mean, good thing that uh, Mike Grady and Hayes committed already. Oh, that's right. They're, that's right, 13 12 and 12, right. Yeah. So I, this is going to be big news. This is going to, like, this is going to deflate a lot of parents that have, you know, 9s, 10s, and 11-year-old kids that think that they they got a place somewhere to be recruited. So. Get those clicks. You got to get those clicks on, uh, on the social media. That's right, man. That's that, going to make it hard. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. So um, the Rays going for... 14. They're at 13 going for 14 consecutive wins. I wonder what the line on Vegas. I wonder if there's a line like that in Vegas. It just says, you know, what the streak is. There's got to be some props. It's like last team to lose a game, you know, stuff like that. Right. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure there's somebody out there who's going to make a a pamphlet of money on it. Somebody's going to put – somebody just goes to throw his money on on top of anything and and ends up golden somehow. They they get the golden ticket. High school season, kind of, kind of in the thick of it here. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. one watched uh, Nation Ford and Fort Mill last night. Issue. Uh, so we had uh, looking to tout on it a little bit. Third base, shortstop, second base, left field, right field, all CBC kids. Nice. Yeah, and they would have had the other. They would have had one more, but JV Walters is hurt. Oh. So, um, so he's not. Uh, he wasn't in the in the lineup. Uh, he's he's been he's been hurt for a while. But it, you know it's interesting. I'm, I'm I'm a little bit disappointed in the in the umpiring at the high school level. You know, there just doesn't seem. I I think I don't know how what the technology is or how expensive it is. But we we use um, uh, Yacker and Andrew can see the strike zone from yeah. from the so high school. I mean, you're taking the bat out of these kids' hands all the time, especially five A. I'm talking about a higher level of you know mm-hmm. high school baseball, not. Where you're you seeing know. everybody's 80 plus off the yeah. ground. I mean, it's a it's a you know it's competitive situation. But here's my theory on umpires. And first of all, I mean, we appreciate them doing absolutely. What they do. I mean, the game wouldn't be there. Almost every umpire that I see is one level above where that they should be. So uh-huh. when you see, I mean, because there's no umpires that played Major League Baseball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. So none of right. those guys are actually major league umpires. Right. You know, as far right, as, right, as, far right, as right. just the reactions and things. Right. So it, and it just trickles down every level because yeah. that pushes every level of umpire up one slot. Yeah. Uh, and so you see guys like that, and they should, and they would be perfectly fine at a JV level. You're saying 76, 78 mile an hour fastballs. You know, and, and then you push those guys. Everybody's one level too high. <laughs> well, I've thought about this a lot because umpires. 
Oh, man. It's, it's, it was it's, horrible. It's really hit or miss, too. Like, last night, the guys from Catholic, were they were great. But then you'll have another game where it's like, oh, my gosh, how do how these guys even get here? And it starts with the balls and strikes because I mean that's I mean it's happening every pitch and when guys, when guys are overmatched with the balls and strikes yeah or when they're you know you see some of the youth umpires unfortunately they're you know they'll get some kid in there throwing just loopers in there and then they'll get a stronger kid and the stronger kid gets a much tighter strike zone and this kid that's looping the ball in there I mean yeah. it, it's like you know hit a garage door and it's a strike yeah that's what I saw last night so, and I, I I couldn't stand behind because I you know I couldn't stand behind the plate much longer and had to go down the end of the fence because it was just it was just it wasn't fair. You know, I mean, these these are balls, six balls off the plate, and they're calling strikes. You know, and these umpires, they, I mean, there's an art to sitting inside, you know, and looking for the inside corner. But you got to have some type of feel for the game to understand how far off the ball is going to be to be, be a, on the black on the outside. And these guys, are, I mean, they're like deep and underneath and turned around. And, I mean, they, they, they had no clue where, you know, and, and they don't follow breaking balls either. That was bothering me. You know, they, and they, before it's even – it's out. in there, they're, yeah. So – but again, it's it's like everything else. There's a shortage, you know. I mean, there's there's not uh, everybody's fighting to get umpires, and even the worst umpires are getting better money. Mm-hmm. You know, they're 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 raising their ticket price on us, so uh, you know it becomes it becomes difficult to. Well, yeah, they're they're in demand, and it's not. It, it has nothing to do with the quality. No, no, <laughs> so, that's right. It's so weird. Yeah, it, so it's, but uh, you know, some good but baseball, again, there some are good players, some good quality umpires out there. They're yeah. really absolutely. Are, they're really Listen, uh, no doubt, we we we've definitely seen those guys. It's just you just don't get them consistently. Yeah. You know, you I mean, you go down to a, a PG event or a PBR event like that, and they're flying guys in from all over the place. Um, you know where the worst umpires in the world are, though? Cooperstown. Oh. Cooperstown, New York, is the worst man. They uh. You know, they're just like happy, like, hey, you want to go umpire? You know, free trip, whatever. Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> have no idea. No idea. Nah. But, they, you know, they're, they're, they're trying, I guess. Some of them. Some of them just we want to get out of there. And we no, no doubt. No no doubt about it. Um, college, the college season is, is rolling. There's a lot of, you know, Carolina, uh, ECU, Wake Forest, North Carolina. We got some, we got some top-ranked dudes in our state here that uh, – yeah, North you know. South Carolina. Oof, I mean, it's, man. It's a, yep. it's a powerhouse region. You know, it is. Especially when you combine the two states and yep. you got it as a Carolina. Man, it's good baseball. Yeah. Hey, listen, if you look at the rosters, I mean, I would say 50% of the fifty percent of each of these rosters are Carolina kids, mm-hmm. you know, and then they do go out and, you know, and, and track down some other some other players. You see a lot of JUCO guys on some of these rosters now. Um I, as far as the, as far as the, you know, the power fives go, I don't see very many portal guys. I see more junior college players, mm-hmm. um, you know, falling into that slot that are, you know, that are produced and, you know, are leaving because their time's up at a JUCO and they've they they've evolved. Well, like JUCO Gaston College, they're like number what seven in the nation right now. Yeah, I mean, there's that's good baseball too, right down the road. It is. Listen, I, I, I you know, yeah. it, in in the in, in the West where you grew up, John, and and in the in the Southwest, and in. Juco, Texas, Texas, Florida, and Arizona, Arizona always had really good junior college programs. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people went in that direction first, you know, for either opportunity to move on to a better school that maybe they didn't get the attention uh, with or um, a chance to get drafted quicker. You know, you'll see a lot of athletes used to think, okay, the kids that weren't good academically, that's where they went to school and you get a dump them in Juco. But here in Charlotte for years, um, Long before you got here, John. I mean, it was a scarlet letter to say that you played at a junior college. It's like, oh, you're going through a JUCO. You can't be. You can't be any good. And it's that's that's inverted. You know. I mean, I talked to Robbie Allen uh, again yesterday. 
and um, he uh, he said, I've got more talent than I've ever had before. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's at a community college, right? Yeah. That's, you know, it's I a, think whole... a little bit of that has to do with just that uh, transition from the the COVID, you know, the COVID push where they, everybody was black, right. backed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then now, now people are more exposed to it. They're seeing it more. And they're like, yeah. okay, this isn't the Scarlet Letter. There's more benefits other than just getting on the field. Obviously, you get all your prerequisites out of the way and it saves families a ton of money. We know in our sport, you know, you, there's no full rides. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, at all. I mean, he's just, and if he, if somebody gets over the full ride, he's probably going to be in the, in the first five rounds drafted and, mm-hmm. you know, not get there. Like Connor Griffin's probably got offered yeah. full Josh ride. Oath, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, they're, they're throwing to throw money at these guys that, uh, that they know probably are not going to be there and they overcommit because of those reasons. Right. So but they're gonna... there's something called the NIL right now. That's holding some of these kids to college, holding them in college. Well, yeah, because they're going to make more money in college than they would. Oh, yeah, year. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's, but it's not, it's, it's, there's not enough of NIL money in the baseball world to, I would say football, basketball would definitely be, you know, be that scenario. But then you look at, uh, what was his name? Tommy Tanks. What was yeah. his white, Tommy White that ended up oh, going. Shoot. Yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he came out on fire as a freshman and yeah. then he left because his family needed the money and they I mean, got. Same thing. It's. Well, the same thing as usual is the, is the power fives that have the big football programs carry can, can have, a, have right. an advantage in that. Right. So you want so you want if they opened up the portal and they allow these guys to transfer over right away, if you allow them to transfer over right away, everybody becomes a free agent, and you every go cha- every year, and you go cha- and you just go chase the money, right? So if there's an opportunity to go get more money. Um, I wonder if uh, the NCAA even knew how close they had to because they had to approve the NIL, right? That they knew the NIL and the portal were coming basically at the same time and what effect that has. It just doesn't seem like they thought through any of that stuff. I, I mean, I'm like, I mean, you grew up watching kind of a similar product to me. Like, free agency was not as rampant across all right. sports as it right. is nowadays. I mm-hmm. mean, you start at the major league level, NBA, you know. so i mean guys are i mean guys are in guys are out so quickly i loved like how much more uh like tied in to your team people used to be it seems Mm -hmm. to me you know when you were a dodger fan i mean you knew all nine dodgers and the next year there was eight of them back the yankees you know you knew knew all the starting guys and there may be one guy that flips in and flips out next year maybe you know things like that and it, it made it i don't know that was your team that you know you were sticking with that team now it's like you just bounce around and you know if you're like a Kevin Durant fan. I mean, you've been with six teams in the last three right, years, and right, it's like right. some you're a fan of the individual. So it's 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 rare to see a Mike Trout that's going to finish his career out, and you know you think he's going to finish it out. He may end up in Philadelphia or, mm-hmm. you know, with the Mets or something like that at some point, just to kind of farewell because he's from that area from uh, from New Jersey. Um, but you don't, you know, well, you, you know, Otani's going to be gone in no time. You want fan loyalty. Fan loyalty though comes because there's consistency with the players. The players are having yeah, loyalty, and yeah. and it, it's a it's a slippery slope though because you want the players to have the power to go get yeah. the contracts they should get, and you don't want the collusion and all that stuff that can happen. But right. at the same time, it's so much harder to be a loyal fan. It's uh, it, it's no longer. I don't think being a fan is generational anymore, right? So I, you know, Yankee fans ran through my family forever. I'm sure Dodger fans were, you know, mm-hmm. or whatever in your area. I don't know, Andrew. What was your team? Oh, Cardinals. The I mean, Cardinals, Cardinals forever. So, you you know, but so it's, you know, I don't, I don't know that, you know, there, there are some loyal fans and I think they're the true, true baseball fans. I think it, loyalty has been pushed aside by um, uh, experience, not experience, but entertainment. You know, it's more like just get anybody you can get here as long as we're getting the ticket prices. And do you know how the MLB package is $169? 
That's nothing compared to the NFL. Have you seen the new NFL no, that they released? It's no. almost six hundred dollars. Wow. Yeah. Dude. So it's uh, you know, that's uh still high. I mean, I like I you know now now that now that I'm watch every game either. You can only watch no, but I can but I can't I know, but but if you're a loyal fan, right? Which I am now a loyal fan of the Pittsburgh Pirates, so you know oh, that. Shit. So yeah. Sorry. No, that's my national league. Team. Sorry. I, right. yeah. <laughs> but you know, I would want to watch them. Yeah. You know, and I can't get it. You can't get them. You know, you hope that they land on ESPN. Um, well, see, I could see if we're Dodger fans at our house. And right. So we get the MLB package. Yeah. Guess what time? At least yeah, they're playing the 11 o'clock. The boys it's, are in it's bed. 10 o'clock start. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, half the yeah. value is gone right off the bat. Yeah. And now when they come out, we got to hope that they're not blacked out if they're in Cincinnati, yeah, if they're exactly. in Baltimore, if they're in Atlanta. It's like, yeah. It's like the games that we actually want to watch. We're, we're we, you know, we realistically only get about. Uh, well, they, so they, there's another reason that you know the loyalty is gone also because, you know, again, when I grew up with black and white TV, <laughs> that, uh, you know, I had the Mets or I had the Yankees. That was, and you got them every single night, so everybody, you know, was there. Now you can go watch anything or anybody, and now you get all these fantasy leagues. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're plucking players, and it's not no, not necessarily about the team, but about the player that you have on your fantasy team. So the loyalty becomes, you know, your fantasy club. Yeah. So. Yeah, you're like, oh, I hope my team wins tonight, but I hope the guy who's on the other team, you know, hits two tanks. And <laughs> that's it. Yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you're you're just rooting for the player. It's like going to a highlight if you're match. Loyal, or something. You have to hate everybody else. That's all you I'm do. saying. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, Salvino sent me a picture to uh, of uh, he was at City Field and uh, Padres are in. Schilt was coaching third. Um, and uh, I didn't know that they were playing the Padres. And he's, you know, Mike's like, hey, this is a beautiful field. And I'm saying, yeah, I'm rooting for any team that's playing the Mets. So who's playing the Mets? You know, but um, all good. So let's uh, let's let's jump in. I want to bring on uh, Andrew. We're going to bring on we're going to bring on. Uh, Frank Leone, the head coach at Mount St. Mary's up in Maryland right now. Um, long career, over 29 years coaching, um, over 20 years as a Division One coach, uh, University of Rhode Island, uh, William and Mary, then ended up um, at uh, Marymount. Now he is over at uh, at Mount St. Mary's, another Division One program up in Maryland. Um, he's been through every bit of the that you can go through, from taking a program at Rhode Island. And uh, and saving it basically, it was it was going to be shut down by the athletic department. Um, going into Marymount and starting that program up and, and building a program, but also you know going to uh, to a school that um, uh, that he's at now that has a history. You know, it's it's been there for for I think he's the 14th head coach um, to to land a job at uh, at Mount St. Mary's, but. Um, we want to bring on uh, Frank Leone. Frank, appreciate you coming on, spending some time with us, and uh, you know, talking some baseball. Shafe, I love you, man. So happy to be here. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. No, I appreciate it. So Frank and I first connected uh, when we had uh, uh, the Virginia Sports Complex, and uh, we just we struck up a conversation one day, not not even you know really knowing anything, and uh, and it's turned into a really good friendship, and we've. Um, He's had two of our players, John, you know, uh, Evan Todd and Gavin Knight play for him that, uh, you know, they have nothing but praises to say about being there at that time. And they're both being, they both have successful careers. Evan's going to be a doctor. And yeah. I think Gavin's going to be president someday. Yeah. <laughs> probably will. He probably will. That he kid works will. every angle. He's great. He did. So, you know, yeah. and again, we, we, you know, John and I and Andrew have this conversation all the time with different coaches. It's, 
you know, we, we, we've worked hard to build relationships with, with good people. So our kids go off and play and have a good experience along the way. Not just, you know, you're going to go off and play baseball and then you get somewhere where you're not, uh, just stuffed in somewhere. You're just, just getting somewhere. You know, you, I, I was telling somebody this, this story today, uh, Jack Jackson was my coach at Maryland. Um, he's 93 years old, and I talk to him at least every other week. You know, so you, you want kids to kind of, you know, uh, be around people that are going to just help them grow as men. And that's another part that we'll talk about is what you do with the community services with your program uh, or your programs. But, um, you know, so it's, it, 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 it works both yeah. ways, right? So you said you don't want to send the good people, but we want to get players from good people too, people that we trust. And as this recruiting world gets crazier and crazier, um, it's so important to me as I've gotten older to really get the stamp of approval from guys that I trust. And, um, and I would go further to say what you are also just hitting upon. What I tell every kid that sits in front of me now is that someday when you get married, if you don't invite me to your wedding, I failed you as your coach. Wow. That, that, that's a high standard right there. That's uh, so that that's a lot of pressure on you. Yeah. Um, but it, again, there, there, there's people out there to do it for more reasons other than just, uh, you know, wins and losses and, and people hang their hat on that. And personalities change based on seasons. You know, everybody's great when they win and not everybody's so cool when they uh, when they don't. But so, you, Frank, you got done playing at, at the University of Rhode Island. That's where you played yeah. and you stayed on the coach a little bit. And then the job got turned over to you pretty quick. Um was it getting, did they throw it at you and say, hey, save it? Or did you know it was coming or not coming? It's an even more messed up story than that. So I actually, uh, after I graduated in 91, I went and worked for Ernst & Young accounting firm for one year. And I was sitting in, and I hated public accounting, hated it. I was good at it, but I hated it. And so I called up my coach who was still there and I said, coach, any shot I could come back next year and be an assistant coach and, you know, try to help out any way I can. He said, I'll call you back in five minutes. He called me back and told me he had just resigned and I should put my name in for the head job. I was 23 years old. Um, and honestly, it, it came down to me. And uh, the other gentleman, I think, was 82 years old at the time. Wow, and my, um, my <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And then um, I think they just they just chose the person they thought they could get rid of the program the easiest with. Um, I didn't have the connections that the 82 year old guy had. So let's give it to this 23 year old and and uh, we'll be done with it. So, you know, 13 years later, we turned it into arguably the best team in the in the New England area. Um, and to this day, they're still they're still thriving, which makes me very proud. So it's uh, it. You know, you're talking, we were talking about culture and, and, you know, players wanting to, um, you know, to play for you and you wanting to have good players with you. That helps build the alumni base. Did the alumni base jump behind the, uh, the program when you got it because what was it, a two win season? And they were basically, so what was, what was the reasoning, first of all, that they were going to get rid of it? Was it just a lost leader? It was, so it was a Title IX gender equity issue. So Rhode Island has football. Um, which obviously any school that has football, there's a challenge there with managing the numbers to get them right between male and female athletes. So this was kind of when gender equity and title nine was really getting big at the college scene. Um, and so they were trying to figure out how to manage it. And baseball is always an easy target because you've got a large number of male athletes. Um, it's kind of a, 
it's a sport where you travel a lot. So there's a little bit more expense involved. So it, it becomes a target um, on it, you know. And so they looked at that baseball to drop it. My first year there, we actually went 12 and whatever, 12 and 26. We had an improvement over the year before. But they the whole year we played in 93 with this dark cloud over us, whether or not we were going to have a team anymore. So naturally, I hadn't recruited anybody. And our best players were all looking to go elsewhere. They decided to retain the program in May of 1993. We got called into a meeting with our athletic director. I'm like, okay, well, this is it. We're done. And apparently the president of the university liked what we were doing so much. He directed the AD to keep the program. Well, they took all our scholarships away. We didn't have many to begin with, but they took it all away. And this is a true story. In 1994 was the year we only won two games. My starting second baseman that year had four at-bats his entire high school career. Some good coaching, Frank. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, we won two <laughs> games. I don't even know. Honestly, you remember that scene from, uh, what is it, from Bull Durham when they say, you know, they're in the shower and they're like, yeah, what are we, eight and 16? And the coach goes, I don't know how the heck we won the eight. That was us that year, you know, so, um, but yeah, it was, it was a challenge, you know, and, and couple that with the fact I had no experience. I mean, when I was a, when I was a player, you know, the coach would give me the infield uh, group and run some drills and things like that, but I had no training as a coach and all I had was pride. I, I had a lot of uh, intestinal fortitude and I was determined to save the program. That was it. That was my goal when I took over that job was just save the you, you missed one piece. You hated accounting. I hated accounting. <laughs> hated it. You know, it's funny too, Shane. I'll take a two-win season over. Yeah. <laughs> you can appreciate this. Imagine me. So here I am. I, I have a great big six accounting job. Mm -hmm. And now I come home to tell my dad I just resigned to take mm -hmm. a job that paid me $5,000. Yeah, he was that was a good investment. Yeah. And <laughs> and I had to move back in with my parents. Oh, even better. So how yeah. how do you handle that? Was he uh do what you got to do kid or he was he, he wasn't happy at the beginning, but then yeah. my dad was a man all about following your passion. You know, we yeah. I grew up in the restaurant business. My dad owned the restaurant and he, his passion was cooking. And so, you know, he said at the end he's like, "Okay, if you're going to do this, you're going to do it right. You're going to put the time in. You're going to you're going to get after it." And uh I said, Dad, you're the. It, it's easy for me to do that when I've just watched you all my life growing up, just watching the time and the dedication you've put into to working your ass off, and and that's gonna be that's gonna be me, you know. So, uh, but it took me a while, you know. I had to. There was a there was a learning curve involved for sure, um, and couple that with the lack of resources, and um, you know, it took us a little bit longer than I thought it would to to kind of get it rolling. So, the program is still alive, still yeah. going. Um, a lot of credit to you for that. And, uh, you know, the staff, how did you, how did you convince a staff to, uh, to work with a club that may not be there? Um, and you got a second baseman that had four ABs in high school. So that assistant coach that I had in 94, we're still like best friends. Um, he got out of the business and took over his dad's jewelry company. Very smart move on his, on his behalf. Um, but yeah, it, it was hard. You know, in the entire 13 years I was there, I never had a full-time assistant coach. In fact, the last year I was there in, in two, 2005, when we won the Atlantic 10 championship, Jimmy Foster was my, was my assistant yeah. coach. And uh, I, when I, when I recruited Jimmy to the job, I said, listen, I, I'll do everything I got to do to pay you out of camps and, and find different 
you know, uh, creative ways of getting money to you. But I think I ended up paying him, I don't know, 17, 18 grand to be the assistant coach. And he was still working a construction job on the side. And it was crazy. And you all know how great a coach Jimmy Foster is. Um, You know, so, yeah, I mean, I think guys that they just like anything else. Right. I think people want to be a part of something they believe in. You know, and and um, once we got things around the late 90s, we were really starting to put some some pieces together. People saw that we were coming. Um, still took a little bit longer than that. But people, I think, recognized that we were starting to move in the right direction and they wanted to be a part of it. So I, I'm thankful. I'm certainly very grateful to all those that worked under me. And, and without them and without the players that played there or anywhere I've been, you know, I'm not even sitting here on this podcast with you right now. So yeah, people don't people don't understand, or the people on the outside don't understand, like how much the players give us as much as we try mm-hmm. to give them, in terms of the development process. And uh, you know, it's you know, John's been coaching with us for a while, and and obviously Andrew's coached with us now. Um, and it's uh, it, it, the dugout is a great place, and the clubhouse is a great place if you let it be and you let the personalities be the personalities. And, you can manage the personalities and uh it's all bringing the right people in to start yeah you know because like the recruiting process or our tryout process here you know you get the right kids in and you know going out to practice is is you know you look forward to going out to practice yeah. and then you know you get one of those years where you get the you know a couple of the wrong kids in and and, and all of a sudden it's like it, it's just it makes it so much harder to yeah. want to go out and practice because you're like I, you know i'm not getting out of this what i feel like i'm putting into this yeah and i, and I haven't always been good at that i've been guilty over my career of trying to force things, whether it is, you know, I, I see a really good player and I know he's not a right fit for, for our culture, but yet I tried to jam him into the culture anyway. And then what happens? It blows up in your face, you know, if not, you know, that year, certainly the following year. So you're absolutely right. And that's why I said earlier, it's so important to me as I've gotten older to really rely on people I trust to, to the character references are just as important as the baseball skills references without a question yeah it's uh it's funny so i have my daughter tori and i kind of use this this analogy to be saying but um she had some issues early on and we had to put her um at a uh uh it's a camp basically and um it was a horse camp and they took the personality of the of my daughter and they had a they had hundreds of horses and they knew the personality of all the horses and they brought them together and in the beginning, it was kind of a little contentious. And then next thing you know, it, you know, it, 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 yeah, it, it breaks out and, and it works. And that, that, that happens, um, you know, that happens quite a bit. We try, we really do try here to, to marry the personalities with the program and the coaches and not just, uh, and not just the uniforms that, um, you know, everybody wants to wear. You know, we, we sit in power five country down here with, mm-hmm. you know, Wake Forest and South Carolina and North Carolina and state and, um, you know, and everybody's enamored or either their parents played at that or went to that school or played at that school or whatever. And they, they feel like, uh, because they've been going there the whole lives that they want to, they want to do it. And they don't realize that, you know, it, 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 it doesn't work that way. So you, so you or I, um, a decision, a, a job offer comes up or an interview comes up with William and Mary, great program, um, down in Virginia. And then you, uh, you interview, you get the head coaching job. Was it difficult leaving, you or I, after all the, you know, everything that you just told us, you put, you put into it. Yeah, no question. So what was interesting at URI is, is, um, and my former AD, I, I still am very tight with him. Um, 
he gave me my first multi-year contract when we were rolling. The last three years I was at Roadie, our conference record was 54 and 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and we only had two scholarships, which was by far the least in the conference. Um, but that being said, we're sitting at the A-10s in 05. You know, we're the number one seed, so we get a buy in the first round. I'm sitting with the AD up in the um, the uh, the courtesy suite. And he says to me, he goes, you know, there's more changes coming down the line. And this gender equity thing is is starting to be a push again. So I think, you know, next year you might be limited to a roster of 25 players. I mean, I'm 13 years in. I'm, I'm an alum, you know, and I feel like at, at that point they were kind of like, we don't need to give him any more. He's doing all this with what we give him. Now we probably can pull back a little bit. And so I got to that point where I was just like, you know, I can't keep doing this. You know, I'm, I'm not getting any younger. Now's the time, you know, when am I going to be at, at a better point in my career? And actually it was that athletic director who, who realized this and he picked up the phone and called the AD at William and Mary and talked to him cause he knew him. And, um, next thing I know, I'm on the phone with Terry Driscoll from, from William and Mary. And, uh, we had a great conversation and went through that process and was, was lucky enough to get that job. So it was very difficult to leave. Uh, my entire family is, and if you know anything about Rhode Island, I mean, it's obviously the smallest state. Um, but we were a close knit group, you know, and, and my two of my siblings still live there. And in fact, my sister's in route coming down here to Maryland as we speak to spend the weekend. So, um, you know, it's it's it was hard. It was hard. And, and I was I was actually my first wife. Um, we had just had our second daughter. Um, you just talked about horses. My ex-wife was equestrian. She didn't want to leave all all that she knew up here. And, and I promised her to build her horse facility when we got to Virginia, which which we did. Um, but it was hard, you know, it was hard to, to bring a, a young family, a wife that didn't know anybody or anything in the area and uh, just kind of set up a new new location. Um, it was hard and it, it, it definitely there was a transition period for sure once we got down here. I think Thomas Jefferson played ball at William and Mary. Did he? tj definitely is a william and mary alum Um, (laughs) i can't remember if we played baseball or not there's been a ton of really good ones that have so uh that's so 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 william and mary program um seven years there was it seven Seven years yeah seven seven years um you know from two scholarships to how many scholarships did william and mary have we had we had roughly depended it fluctuated because william and mary most people don't know this william and mary is a state school and so it depended if you gave a kid an, in, an in-state player scholarship versus an out-of-state player. So we fluctuated between seven and eight while I was there. It's uh now it's a, it's a, it's eleven seven. It's a Division One um, max. It's uh, that's still not enough. Right. Um, you know, there's not enough money for solid assistance. You know, I mean, I know they opened it up what a year or two ago to uh, for another another assistant coach, but you know, it, it, people. When you, when you explain like what goes on in a program and, and to run a practice, like we try to run practices with two guys sometimes. And that's, you know, that's almost impossible because you're not going to get the quality that you need to get. And you're not going to cover everything that you need to cover. And college co- college programs, you know, sometimes four is the max and one of them is a volley. Yeah. And uh, and on top of it, during the season, you got to put somebody on the road to recruit. So you're, you know, you're a skeleton crew. It's just it, it's not recognized as uh, the way that it should be in terms of the deficits that, uh, that we face um, in, in the game. So William and Mary, um, great area, beautiful, beautiful part of the country. Family's got to pick up and go again. Yeah. Yeah. When we left to go to Marymount, you mean? 
Yeah, when you left yeah. to go to Marymount. Yeah, so, and that, was, so and that was a startup program, correct? When you got it, there, it was. It was. So, just to give you a little bit of that history at William and Mary, so I took over a program at William and Mary that was, you know, Jimmy Farr was the head coach before me. Um, I think he probably played with Jim right in, in pro ball at yeah, some point. Yep. Um, great coach, did a great job at William and Mary, and um, I think things kind of started to get a, a little bit sour with him there. Um, and the program I took over was pretty decimated by the time I got there. The kids had no confidence. The kids that were left, we had 24 players on the first team I coached. I had to pull a kid off the club team to get to 24 that year. Mm-hmm. Um, and at William and Mary, it's a different animal. That's an Ivy League school in disguise. Like you're not, they, the admissions office shuts off on May 1st. You don't get anybody in after May 1st. Forget about transfers. Um, it's, it's almost impossible to get transfers in there. Um, we did get a few, but it's really difficult to do. So that first group of kids I had, they were very responsive to, to our ideas and and how we were going to build things quickly with our culture. And we got good really fast when I was there. Um, the second crop of kids, which were all the kids I recruited, I, I completely mishandled those. So we, we need to get that out in the open here. Like I, I mishandled it. It was that the thing with the William and Mary kids, they're so intellectual. They always wanted to know the why. And I got to the point where I thought I was bigger than I was. And I was like, well, we're just doing it because I said we're doing it, you know, and that's just not the way to go about things. So I learned my lesson the hard way. And by the end, you know, my last year there, we won 31 games, but you know, I was asked to leave at that point, you know, and I was disgruntled and I wasn't sure I wanted to coach anymore. Um, I was thinking about going back into the accounting world. And then a good friend of mine called me up. I'm sitting at home, uh, lived right down the road from Bush Gardens. I was taking my daughters to Bush Gardens like every day to just get my mind off things. And uh, my buddy calls me and says, hey, they're starting up a brand new Division Three program uh, called Marymount University. And I said, uh, I said, oh, cool. Where's that? And he said, it's in Arlington, Virginia. I said, what? I've never heard of it before. So Marymount was a small all-girls school that, was, you know, part of the reason why they started baseball was to drive the male enrollment at the school. And so I looked up, looked into it. The AD was, um, she was originally at the University of Alabama. And um, a good friend of mine who was a URI baseball alum was second in charge at the University of Florida. His name's Chip Howard. And I contacted Chip and said, Chip, would you mind calling Debbie Warren for me at Marymount. He goes, oh, that's where she ended up. He didn't even know where she was. And next thing I know, Debbie Warren gives me a phone call. We're on the phone for about an hour. It was like we knew each other our whole lives. And I went and took a look at it, you know, and um, didn't have a lot of options at that point anyway. But um, it, I, I saw it as an opportunity to not inherit anybody else's headaches. I had got, I had that time from the time I left William and Mary was May. The time I started at Marymount was October. I had five months shaved to go through everything I had done over the first 20 years of my career to really do a debrief and take a deep breath and look at everything, both positive and negative, really critique myself um, and what we're doing. And I, I decided some things that needed to change, you know, and, and that's what we brought to Marymount from the get go was, you know, we're going to I'm going to focus on culture and building these players up, developing them as people and then. My my thought process was the X's and O's will fall into place. And that's what we did. Honest to God. So the transition from William and Mary over there also, these are academic kids that were going into Marymount. This wasn't, uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't an easy school to get into. 
Yeah, I mean, it 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 had its really good programs and it's some programs that were a little bit easier to, to attract kids. But the biggest thing, and I think you were starting to hit upon this, and what really helped me in my coaching career, it got me back to my roots at URI because the Division three kids don't get athletic scholarships. Right. And if you're not creating value for those kids, they're not coming back. They have no reason to come back. Sure. So it really forced me to be a better coach, a better person, a better man, a better leader um, and create value. And that's when you know you started to talk about the the uh, community service. We had always done community service before that. But I was like, OK, this is something that will be a great structure for building culture. And it all surrounds the, 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 the thought process of servant leadership. So how can we create better servants who will ultimately become better leaders? And that's the that's the thing that I tried to create at, at Marymount and now have brought here to the Mount. Um, and, and in doing so, we created a program called the Seven Days of Service. Um, just a fancy way of saying it, seven different community service projects, which what I do and seven is my uniform number. So that's where seven came from. It also mm -hmm. happens to be the same amount of days in a week. So it kind of sounded cool. Um, but what we do is we break the team up into seven different groups and each one of those groups is responsible for organizing and directing one community service project for the team. And you talk about, you know, think about it, right? If you're a freshman, you're walking through the door. And now on the day of an event, like let's say the, the D.C. Heart Walk, we do it every year. We go right on the National Mall in D.C. and you have to direct your senior teammates and tell them what they're doing that day. That's a daunting task for a freshman, but it exposes them to all the things they're going to need to develop leadership schools cause, skills. Because I believe that leaders are not just inherently leaders. They have they can be developed into leaders. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I've seen it work um, and the players. You know, I, I always put up this slide at the beginning of every season. Now we do a slideshow at the beginning, a, a PowerPoint, and I have a slide that says, OK, here are the, the attributes of a great leader. Next slide. Here are the attributes of a great teammate. And I ask the question. The next slide is I ask the question, what are the differences? And the hands shoot up and they're like, there aren't any differences. Yeah. And I'm like, you're absolutely right, because a great leader is a great teammate and vice versa. So, so those are the things that we focus on and, you know, those intangibles, I can't impress enough upon a young coach. Those intangibles are going to carry you um, on those days. Cause everybody can hit, everybody can pitch, everybody can field. You guys said you're in the power five country. All those teams have the same type of talent. What separates them? It separates them is if they have the intangible of the drive of the not quit when the game gets difficult. You know, and that's where you need those leaders in the dugout. And um, that's what we try to we try to create. Yeah, there's I, I definitely I definitely agree with the, with the last statement there in terms of, you know, the, the leaders in the dugout things. I think, you know, we, we're dealing with a different generation of athletes as well. You know, mm -hmm. in terms of, uh, you know, what is their mental the mental toughness, um, you know, we all know that they're bigger, they're stronger and faster than we ever were. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you and I kind of built similar, you know, we were small little in infielders and okay. got a chance to play at certain levels. And, uh, but, you know, and now you look at athletes, sometimes you can't tell if they're good or not, if they just walk off the bus, right? right. Uh, they're bigger, stronger, faster, but the culture of, you know, we're talking about the portal and being able to jump out and go wherever you want anytime. That's that we've lived with that as long as we've been involved in travel showcase baseball, because mm -hmm. the minute somebody's not happy, 
they dad says let's get out of here we're going to go start our own team we're going to move and we're gone and we and we jump out and that transitions into um you know into in, in, into the college programs now like hey yeah i'll go there if i don't like it i'm going to bump out you know i'm going to i'm going to change and because they think that they have that option what they don't realize is that over 2000 people in the portal you know there's 2000 people thinking the same way and there's not always not there's always a job there and the grass is not always greener no and i've had, you know i've had this i've had this conversation with dylan my son that's going to go to wilmington next year um and he goes he reports in the fall is that you know you're going as a freshman you're going as this this touted athlete for this period of time and there's a chance that you're not playing your freshman year you know you got to go in you got to earn your spot and you may even play good enough that you think you're in that spot but there's somebody that had a little bit of tenure ahead of you that's going to get the opportunity to succeed or fail but there's no hey this is what we committed to and if this doesn't work out you know we'll sit down and we'll kind of evaluate the situation maybe we can find another school to go to you want that, to find somebody who's like you know if we'll dig in our heels you know yeah. if, if it's tough you know dig in our heels and, yeah. and get to work and try to figure out a way to do this yeah. instead of just at the first sign of uh, you know there being an issue or or their unhappiness it's like throw the flag and now you've been, you've been around you've been around us for over 10 years and john and andrew's been around through the whole thing i mean I, you know people look at our facility now and everything that we do frank and they say oh you know great successes and you know and and even playing in the big leagues like john and i did people think that we just walk there Mm-hmm. You know, and don't realize that you had to dig in your heels mm-hmm. a lot to get everything that you want to get out of it. And your your story in terms of you know the William and Mary and having to uh, uh, self reflect and and figure out you know you know who am I or what am I or you know I mean because th- this game becomes our identity, right? We're 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 labeled baseball guys, but it's not it's not our character in the end if we, if you go about it the right way. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of a it's just kind of a ride to something something better in my opinion i mean i'm i'm happier now in what i do um you know i don't get me wrong i love playing i love the competition and stuff like that but they would i mean that was some stressful stuff man it was it was not easy day in and day out to go out there and do that now you know i i you know our mission here is to is to do what best we can do for kids that want the opportunities going forward or just the opportunities to to stay in the game as as long as they possibly can um some of those kids are on the grounds crew now no kidding, man. We got yeah, we got grounds crew guys. We got guys that are working for us. Servant leaders. <laughs> Servant leaders. There you go. You yeah, and, and I was going to just say, you know, you think about you were going to ask, I think, at some point of what the difference between kids now and, and prior yeah. to now. But, you know, it's social media, right? Like it's it's so mm-hmm. self-absorbed. Every kid is that the culture they're growing up in is me, 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 me. So it's yeah. not it's not um, a surprise that this is some of the behavior you get. Um, which is why I think the more you, as a, as a college coach too, you give them something, you give them some training that they're not used to. Now, there's no question when they walk through the door, this, this, this stuff I'm talking about makes them extremely uncomfortable because they're just not used to anything like it. Mm-hmm. But it, once they get the hang of it, once they get the feel for what we're trying to do, um, it does, it helps them develop as people so that that. I'm not going to say that we, you know, they don't care about themselves. And if someone walked in, you know, North Carolina walks in with an NIL deal, they're not going to be able to stop my number one pitcher throwing 94 or be able to recruit him. Um, but it does, I think, give them pause that, hey, you know what? I really like what we do here because it's not just about the baseball because the baseball is difficult. It's going to be difficult some days. How do I deal with that and how do i deal with the other stressors in my life off the field the academics the social life 
the family life stuff that that continues to be for a lot of kids mental illness I, you were going to ask me one of the biggest things i'm seeing right now especially after covid mental illness is a real issue in this country right now and we're not doing enough to address that at the national level we want to keep talking about you know i don't want to go off into a political view on things but there's a lot of other things that people want to talk about but they don't want to you know they want to talk about the symptoms instead of the problem and the problem in my opinion is is you know mental training for young people because they just aren't getting it you know they're getting pushed through school most of them now and they're not being you know think you talk about being tough right uh, academically I'm not talking about the top tier kids, but there are a lot of kids right now that, you know, they don't get a good grade. That's okay. We're just going to push them through anyway. And we'll, 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 we'll factor in their homework grade just as much as a test grade now, you know? So, I mean, th these types of things have, have created an environment for kids where they don't want to dig in their heels because they don't have to. And I think, I think it's I, really I, inherent on us to do that, with that. I think a lot of it has to do with with the pressures that are put on kids at a young age. And we're talking this yeah. next next thing we want to bring up is this this new ruling. But I mean, they're literally like we hear this and see this and stuff. There's parents that think their kids being recruited at 10, 11, 12 years old, and they're putting the pressure on these kids that you got to play on this team, that team, travel here, do this. And we've lost the experience of what we're doing, and we've lost we've lost. Uh, the pers perspective. Right, the perspective of the lessons that this game is supposed to give mm -hmm. us, just by enjoying playing it, going out. Yeah. This is the, we 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 function in a game of failure. We're going to fail a lot, and you know the, the mentality of you know don't worry about it, son. It's okay, or it's going to be fine, or we're going to move you somewhere where you'll be happier. I think that's a, that's a big piece of creating what we're talking about because these athletes get into even a higher pressure situation. Um, you know, where, you know, you have uh, travel showcase baseball is pay to play, right? Mm -hmm. I'll always have a job if I want to have a job. Okay. Mm -hmm. You, if you don't produce now, you can lose your job, right? Mm -hmm. So there's the pressures of, you know, of the coach when they get into that environment. Like, listen, my job depends on how you guys do. And I got to make you the best I could possibly make you. So, you know, the pressures start way too young. And this, you know, there's, I, I'm kind of, I'm happy about this new ruling. I don't know about you, but it's basically no player can contact a school and no school can contact a player until August 1st of their junior year. So it eliminates all these early commits. So a couple of reasons that I would say that I'm, one, I'm happy is that it's going to, I think it's going to bring more parity and it's just not going to be the power five. We see, we see mid majors acting like power fives in terms of their talent and their, their, you know, the, the competitiveness. And then the other part of it is, you know, these early commits are not really committed because there's no contract that says if I commit you as a freshman, you know, I can't go find somebody else or I can't decommit you or you can't leave me. It's not. It's just like it's an engagement ring. It's an, IOU. It's an engagement ring is what it is. A promise ring. Yeah, a promise ring. You got. <laughs> they still have those. Yeah, <laughs> I do. John does. <laughs> yeah. So what? What? When this came down yesterday, uh, surprisingly enough, I, I I like it because one, I think it's gonna it's gonna provide opportunity for organizations to um, create environments. Maybe it's a showcase environment to get kids on the board, right? And then not necessarily to go to a showcase and say, wow, this kid's a dude. He had this one day, get him, commit him. And then it shuts it down for every opportunity. It also allows the kids that are not as physically developed at 
ninth to, to catch up to these guys and to make it a, a, an even race into a, into a program, depending on what level, what's your, what's your take on it? So I, I it's, it's funny. I have a lot of thoughts on it. Um, so number one, so not only can you not contact anybody till August 1st, right. And they can't contact you, but you can't have them on campus for a visit until September 1st. So that's the second part of the rule now. Um, that, you know, you can't have contact with them for a visit until September 1st. Um, so my my first thought is I agree with you, I think. And we've been guilty. I'll be honest with you. Since I've been at the Mount, you know, we've got, uh, I think it's three 2025s committed already. Uh, we have six uh, 624s committed, but obviously we can talk to them now. But we had of those 624s that are committed, I want to say five of those were committed before we could talk to them. Um, so that being said, I do think it's a good rule. I do think it, it at least on the on the surface, it, it suggests that things will slow down a little bit. However, you and I both know that there are going to be coaches out there that are going to find a way to communicate with those kids. So you should, you should be prepared for this because you're, you're sitting in power five country. You're going to hear from some of these schools and they're going to try to talk to the kid through you. Um, and I think that that's, that's not going to stop. Um, what I think what will stop is all these announcements on social media, because if someone does kind of off the record commit to a school, and they jump and it's before August 1st and they jump on social media and make that announcement, it's going to throw up all kinds of red flags. Mm -hmm. So I think you will see that slow down. Um, and again, it's going to, it's going to come down to high school coaches and, and travel organizations like yours. Will you, will you offer to be the conduit or will you um, say, listen, this is, this is, this is against the rules. You know, this is this is this is a stretch of the rules. I, I don't know. And I, and I don't know if, if you'd be in the wrong for doing it because you're trying to help the kid. And right. if they have a great opportunity to go play at, at a school that they really want to play at. I mean, wh why would you not try to help them in that situation? So I, I just I, I think it's like anything else the NCAA does these days. And I, I got to be careful not to be too critical. Um, I think the NCAA is catering to power fives. They are scared out of their minds that they're going to lose the power fives, that the power fives are going to split from the NCAA and go do their own thing. Mm -hmm. This is why you have the NIL. <laughs> this is why you have the transfer portal. You don't have the transfer portal because the NCAA all of a sudden woke up one day and decided, well, let's, you know what? It's always been one-sided for the coaches and the institutions. Let's give the student athletes all this opportunity as well. That's a bunch of BS in my opinion. They did it because they wanted to cater to power fives to, who want to be better at everything than everybody else. And if they don't, then the power fives are going to pull away. You will see that continue to happen until the basketball tournament, the division one basketball tournament falls apart. If it falls apart, you're going to see that the NCAA is going to break into a million pieces. And, you know, why would, why would uh, the university of North Carolina want to continue to put all these resources into all their athletics and let Mount St. Mary's get an automatic bid to the men's basketball tournament. And then they're sitting in ninth place in the ACC and they, and they get left out, you know, they're on the bubble and they get left out. I mean, it's, it, this is why you're seeing this stuff. And this is why you're seeing the NIL. I've got something for you. 
okay, all these kids are, are, are signing these NIL deals. They all want to be treated like they want to be free agents and they want to be treated like adults. Okay, I'm cool with it. I've proposed this to my school already. In the scholarship contract, we should put buyout clauses. You want to be treated like an adult? Now you got a buyout clause. If you go play summer baseball somewhere and another school comes and they recruit you from that summer league team, which by the way, the transfer portal window is wide open all the way through summer ball now. Right. You know, so what's my incentive to send anybody out to summer ball anymore? Right. So now that kid calls me July 15th and says, Hey coach, I'm not coming back. I'm going to X, Y school because you know, they've, they've given me this great deal. Well, then I should have a $20,000 buyout in that contract that that kid has to pay us for all the time that we've spent to develop them, recruit them, all of that. The school should be able to recoup that. Then you would start to see the, the, the scale balance out a little bit more because now I could take that money, maybe put it into scholarships, maybe put it into facilities improvements, whatever it is to try to catch up with, with, the, with the Joneses a little bit. Um, or or it, charge, charge the other school that recruits the athlete. They have to, they have to yeah. give you the same amount of scholarship towards your program as they right. put it to that player. It's like so a John, rule five draft. Yeah. Like so, a rule five draft. So John, that was my first <laughs> that was my first thought. But getting back to how the NCAA is scared of the power fives, they'll never do it that way because they'll never force another school to pay another school anything. But if you put it in the player's contract, now the player has to come up with the 20 grand. Where are they going to get the 20 grand from? They're going to get it from the NIL deal they just signed with the other school. Mm-hmm. So we'll get it through the school, but a roundabout way for that player to leave. Did you come up with that all by yourself? I came up with it all by myself. That's amazing. That's, that's the account. That's the accounting <laughs> background. There you go. That was, that was unbelievable right yeah. there. I mean, that, that, that would, cause you have to look for deterrence, right? You got to look for yeah. something to slow the process down because it it's the wild, wild west right now. Yeah. It's right? lazy. It's lazy recruiting, lazy recruiting, lazy. So, recruiting. so, so when when is this rule in effect? Because we got it last night. And I don't know when when is this we got, start. We got we got a notification from the ABCA about two hours ago that it's going to go into effect on April twenty sixth. So less than two weeks. So it's happening now. So anybody that now. is not a junior is 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 out of play. You can't speak to them. They can't speak to you. But up until that point. Up until the end of the month, you can if something is something is on the table. Right, right. So the twenty fives that we have committed, we've got twelve days to get them to call us so we can explain this rule to them to let them know that we cannot talk to them at all until August first. We can't have any communication with them, Bill and just that. yeah, I I, yeah. I I think they yeah. will. I think yeah. they will, but they won't understand it if you don't tell them. You know, they're not going to read it and they're certainly not going to comprehend the rule by reading it. You're going to have to explain it to them. So do my sons that are 12 and 10 right now, do they need to commit right now? (laughs) Well, they're 29, 20, 29, 20, 30. Can we get this done? (laughs) Right, right. Well, that's that's it's it's funny and it's not so funny because I don't know if it if it if it even relates to those kids, because I think it does. I'm pretty sure the rule still doesn't kick in until you are considered a prospective student athlete. And that's not until you start classes in ninth grade. So there's, there's going to be, there's going to be a rush. There's going to be a rush in the next week or so. <laughs> Two weeks is going to go. It's going to go, go, it's going to go out of control. Like they're going to yeah. commit a bunch of these kids. Right. And yeah. again, it goes back to the contractual part. So, you know, to your point with the, uh, with the NIL transfer program, like, okay, you got to give me money. If, if, if you're committing a kid now, because they're going to go after these guys, right. They're going to go mm-hmm. hard and mm-hmm. they're going to try to get them locked in before, the, the end of the month 
and it's gonna be fun to watch. It's gonna be crazy. So, so the other thing they should the, the NCAA should do, in my opinion, which they'll never do again because of the things I've already said, they should allow you to sign a national letter of intent whenever. It shouldn't be that you have to wait till your senior year. So we've yeah. got these kids committed. You should already be able to sign a national letter of intent. That way, there, yeah, right. We're both bound. When this, when, when, on, you know, the dates on this, it, it should go right along with that. Whenever you can talk to them, you can commit them. Hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. So there's going to there's going to be a lot of overcommits right now. Mm-hmm. No doubt. I mean, they, we we see it a lot in the power fives. We we don't see it that much. We do see it in some of the. You know, if you want to call like ECU a mid-major or Coastal Carolina, the stronger mid-major guys, you know, you'll see overcommits there because of, you know, draft perspective. Yeah. I can't I can't I I can't blame any of these coaches. Like, I'm not trying to throw these coaches under the bus. I'm really not. Like, if I was in their shoes, I'd probably be doing the same thing. I'll be honest with you, because you you said it earlier, like they've got a job. They've got to win games or else they're they're not going to be there much longer. Um, it's the landscape. It's, it's the landscape. landscape. It's the it's it's the NCAA that's the problem, in my opinion. Yeah. You know I, that they I, they I won't legislate it correctly. Have. Yeah. 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 It just it just doesn't seem like they. It just seems like an idea hits them and then they throw it out there and then mm-hmm. they they, you know, they they, create, never, they create this mess and then they try yeah. to they, they throw something else out there to try to fix the mess and makes it even 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 Let, bigger. Let's face it, they never really thought about things when they did the COVID extensions. I mean, we're rolling out. You, you you asked about transfers, and like it's a it's a necessary evil. I've got to put at least two or three kids in each recruiting class now that we've got to get them through the, the transfer portal or, or whatever. You know, I I feel like the NCAA didn't think about this. We got 25, 26 year olds that are competing against 18 year olds. Yeah, it's they should be getting released from double A. It's insane. It's yeah. insane, you know. Yeah, so yeah. So. <laughs> yeah exactly 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 no it's yeah it, it i don't know it, it just seems to just it, it's just hamster wheel it doesn't get any better you know yeah. if they just keep throwing more stuff at it and and trying to figure different things out i mean I, I i i do like the rule i don't like the fact that okay here every every so what 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 age group are you considered a student athlete i believe i believe you're considered a prospective student athlete when you start classes in ninth grade Four okay. Years. It's a four years. So 14, four year 14, class. what are you like? 14, no. 14 or 15 years old at that yeah, point. Right in that wheelhouse there. Yeah, but we deal with that some with our, uh, we have an academy team here. Mm-hmm. And so players understanding when they can start with us and how it affects their college or yeah, their perspective college yeah. clock or their high school clock and things like that. But freshman year, as soon as you step foot on campus. Yeah. Yep. Well, so this also, you know, on our side, you know, thinking about, college coaches relying more on um, like we talked early on, you know, the ability to say, okay, I, Frank, I got a player that I know would fit in your program, fit personality wise, athletically, academically. Um, you'd have to lean more on those because you can't go out. I mean, you can go out and, and watch guys and yes. build a list, but that whole list, like everybody has that list now. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you're going to be able to make theoretically though, you'll be able to make better decisions because you get to see the player longer. Yeah, he's more mature. You know, you, sure. so yeah, when you finally absolutely. do throw the scholarship at him, theoretically, you've got so much more data on him or, or sure. perspective, right. you know, a grade. You, you know more about the player. So where does, where does the recruiting emphasis go to? The sophomore? 
that you can't talk to? Well, here, here's no. the other thing with that too, right? So I can run prospect camps whenever I want, and I can have all these sophomores, freshmen. I can have them all on campus for a camp. Yeah. Are you? Are you? Is the NCAA really trying to say that there's not going to be a recruiting conversation going on at these camps? Yeah. I mean, and you're not supposed to. But right. who do they have? I'm sorry. Did they just hire another thousand employees that are going to run to all? Yeah, these they camps run all these camps, right? Sit them? there and monitor everything that yeah. you say and do. It's it's, uh, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So I, again, we we see that going on. I mean, there's the with with team camps, right? We'll we'll show up and they'll call it a team camp and they'll give mm -hmm. you, you know, and it may be in a blackout period or something, or right. you know, you're not right. A quiet and period. so they're going to do a little clinic, like a five minute hitting clinic in the cage, and mm -hmm. walk away and call it a camp. Yep. Um, so yep. yeah, this is going to be interesting. These next couple of weeks are going to be interesting. Um, it's, it's going to be, well, wild. you think about, think about August 1st for me and my staff or any college yeah. coach now, like you, oh. you're going to have to block out the whole day to make phone calls. Yeah. And no, you, it's, it's dialing for dollars, get, man. Yeah. Who knows if you're even going to get anybody on the phone? Because like you right. guys just said, everybody else got the same list. Yeah, you're all you all seen the yeah. same players. It's yeah. not like you know you had you had a moment in there that you got to get some some quality time because, uh, geez, all right, well this is uh, this will be fun. Yeah, this will be uh, not really fun, but you know, we like car, car crashes. Or we always slow we always slow down for a car crash. Good times. You know what's funny though? Like we we talk about all this, and I and I brought up all these issues. There's not a greater profession in the world than what we do. Nothing. There's nothing that tops this. Nothing at all. And that's why at 54 years old, I'm still running around with 18 to 22 year olds with my paycheck in their mouth, you know, <laughs> because I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I can't get enough of it. You know, it's, yeah. it's the greatest thing in the world. And, um, you know, what you guys do is a thankless job. You know, I know you guys do well and all that. But what you guys are doing to help these kids and guide these these kids, it's thankless. It's thankless. Yeah, I, it's it, it's the adults. It's it, it's the adults for me, some and, and again, awesome, some of them are great, but you know, sour, it's, and, and it's, it's not it's not like the majority are good, you know. But then you get like you're saying, you get one bad apple. John was saying earlier, we get you get one bad one bad apple in that mix, and it's just it it makes for miserable. Yeah, and uh, and, and 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 it's never the kids. It's just it's rarely, 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 rarely the kids. I mean, there's times that it's been, but it's it, it's rarely the kids, and it's. uh I don't know. It, it, it you know, it, it maybe I don't think any of us are looking for thanks in the, in the process. Mm -hmm. uh, I like you said that we grew up in a dugout. We grew up in that environment. We know that environment. It's like going home and hanging out on the street corner, right? Or your yep. buddies that you went to high school with, you know, you fall back into that and it's, and it's for us, it's just, it's over and over and over. And there's nothing for me more enjoyable to, uh, to, to be in the dugout and watch the personality, watch the kids develop, you know, when they're like 12 and they're innocent to uh, when they're 16 and they, uh, you know, they think they own the world, you know, and they're the hottest thing on earth. And it's, it's, it's crazy, but yeah. well, Frank, man, I, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to, uh, to sit in here and, and, uh, and give you a perspective on, a, on, a, on a lot of different things. Your journey has been unbelievable. You've, uh, you've been at the bottom, gone to the top, you know, circled around and, and now, uh, and you're still in it. So, you know, you must love it. I'm like, and, the, I'm like the Buffalo bills. They go. All the wagons. <laughs> <laughs> well, I look forward to talking to you again real soon. And, uh, we appreciate you coming on the, on the show and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll do this again. I, yeah. I look forward to that.
Absolutely. Andrew, John, Shafe, you know, I love you, man. Thank you guys yeah, so man. much. Same here, Frank. Appreciate Thank you. you. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Take care. That was, uh, that was good stuff. All right. Yeah. We need to have him on again. No kidding. And I want, I want his father to like make sauce and pasta for us while yeah. he's doing it. He it's not red sauce. Yes, not you for you. Yeah, no, no, no. I got a Hawaiian pizza yesterday with white with white cheese. Like what? Like you got it, it was white horrible. Cheese. Well, it was, it was white. Pizza, it was white pizza. Pineapple on pizza. Pineapple and because I was like in a hurry, and they're like, just give me that, you know. And uh, yeah, I know, That's I know, John. I know. You're from New York, you know what? Uh, listen, is. I know, and I'm eating. I'm and I'm telling them like I'm looking at the person next to me with this like sausage and sauce, and I'm like, oh man, I screwed up. <laughs> so screwed up. So screwed up. Well, another good week, man. That was a good show. And then next week we're gonna uh, we're probably gonna have Mike McGuire on from uh, from USC Upstate. And uh, so I thought he said Mark McGuire this morning. With he did. Accent. He got all like, excited. Oh, cool. Thought it was Mark McGuire. Yeah, but it wasn't spelled. It was like M C C C G U I R. You know, he's yeah. So he drives he drives the truck that picks up our trash. And but he wanted to be come on. So I got Andrew Mark McGuire. So, <laughs> but we appreciate everybody listening to the show, and we'll uh, we'll do this again next week. Peace out. <laughs>